Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Alex Sullivan. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to episode 10 for season 10. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, the 16th of June for release on the 1st of July, 2020. This episode is sponsored by CloudBees Feature Flags. CloudBees Feature Flags is where developers come to ship changes at will. When you have a solution to manage feature flags at scale, you're empowered to continuously and intelligently roll out changes as soon as they are code complete on any platform, even mobile. Decouple development from code releases for real-time change control. Roll back only the changes that you want. Toggle features, use multivariate flags for A-B testing, and nix misbehaving features with a kill switch. Sign up for CloudBees feature flags today and get 20% off. Visit HTTPS rollout.io slash Ray dash Wenderlich dash offer and fill out the form on the right. We will email you a discount code that you can use to access CloudBees feature flags completely free. Feel free to start a trial and use your discount code when checking out after your trial expires in 14 days. And we thank CloudBees Feature Flags for sponsoring this episode of the Ray Wenderlich podcast. I'm Drew Freeman here with my inimitable co-host Alex Sullivan. Thanks Drew. Our guest for this episode is Vijay Sharma. Vijay is a husband, a father, and senior mobile engineer. Based out of Canada's capital, Vijay has worked on dozens of apps for both Android and iOS. On this episode, Vijay takes us into the world of Android app architecture. And then Alex will talk about refreshing Jetpack Compose. Vijay, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be here. It is great to have you out on the show. And you are in beautiful, beautiful Ottawa. Yes, where summer is just around the corner. <laughs> Always. <laughs> How is the weather out there this this week? Because I've been hearing some beautiful temperatures out, at least in a Toronto area. Yeah, it's starting to warm up. I mean, our summer's coming a little late this year, but uh, it'll be here soon. <laughs> I think I think this week is the first time we're going to see some sun, some good sun. How are you doing with shelter? Uh, great. I mean, uh, I'm I'm housed up with my wife and kids, uh, juggling the art of working and parenting. Uh, I say it's going fairly well. So what kind of things do you do when you're not sheltering? What do you like to do outside? <laughs> There's an outside now? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I'm, into, uh, I'm the kind of guy who likes to get into a lot of different things. Uh, I can talk about something I picked up during my sheltering period, which is my fascination with making my own pizza dough. Uh, before Ooh. all this, my wife and I were, were, were avid pizza eaters. And given that we were put in a position where we can't, we weren't really ordering pizza. We figured the next best thing was to make our own pizza. So I've been in the lab experimenting on different types of doughs, trying to get the right one, ordering flowers from off of Amazon, which is something I thought I'd never have to say in my life. But uh, <laughs> this has been sort of a, a weird interest of mine, uh, thanks to having been in lockdown for the last I also tried months. baking a bread, so I know the feeling. It's just... <laughs> so... When you're not baking pizza dough or eating pizza, is there any things you do that's not code related? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, between my, my kids and I, uh, right now, it's it's more of a trying to get them 
into learning new things. Like my daughter's at an age where she's learning to ride a bike. So I'll go out with her and, and mostly do a lot of my extracurriculars outside are spent with my kids and trying to get them up to speed on different things. How old are they? Four and two. Oh, that's an age. Certainly. They're is. all ages, but four and two, that's... <laughs> hey, 42 that's... is a great number. I'll, I'll, I'll take oh, yes, it, it is. It's the answer. All right. Is it the answer, actually? It's it the, the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Right, yes, it is. it is. That is how powerful a number it truly is. <laughs> and the we'll thing to the show notes, because we haven't had any good geeky show notes lately. Boom. Glad I could well, last week, the joke. Last week, we did put Skipper Key in the uh, show notes. I don't know that one. That was the dog breed. And I was there. Oh, yeah, that's right. Fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> but let us let us talk about Android app architecture. Yeah, could you, VJ? I'm I'm interested in in uh, just kind of diving into it. What are your g- give me your like 500 foot view thoughts on the current state of Android app architecture? What's the deal? Oh yeah, I think um, what's interesting is Google decided to take an opinion about architecture. Mm. I think. Um, I've been doing Android development. I got into Android development almost a decade ago. And back then, it was really the Wild West. I'd come from a background oh, yeah. of doing Java development. And the conversations, I was doing work with Swing and um, like servlets and a lot of like ja- heavy Java stuff. And you know, there were still a lot of opinions at that time about architecture, especially uh, UI architecture with Swing and, and whatnot, that when Android showed up, it didn't really have an opinion. They gave you a controller and they just sort of, you know, put the rest in your court. Uh, and so I think that that went on for a, a long time. A lot of people tried to fill that space. A lot of uh, companies tried to come in with uh, their own sort of opinions on architecture. But it's it's nice that Google has finally decided, you know what, like people have asked for it. Let's let's give them something uh, to to hang their hats on. And I think that it, 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 even though it's an opinion, I think it's, it's slowly becoming uh, uh, more or less an expectation or a standard mm. or, or, or a language that uh, when you bring on a new developer, you can just say, oh, yeah, we're using Jetpack uh, to architect our applications, and you can insert a developer right in. Um, you don't need to have them come in with an opinion for how to architect things. You have a better chance of sort of bringing developers in. So I think from the point of view of uh, you know Google actually bringing Jetpack to the world, uh, I think was it was it was a great move, and I think it's 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 only going to make for better apps, obviously. Yeah, it's it's wild to kind of like when you're embedded within the Android world to see the difference, like you're talking about between say five years ago before. I mean, actually, when did when did Jetpack, Android X, etc. naming convention start <laughs> to actually come into play? I guess it's like a few years. Yeah, at this I point, think right? you know, three years is like probably the yeah. like there. The, there's the, the small beginnings of it. There's a lot of libraries that start introducing like the data binding libraries and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, and so it, it sort of spawns uh, from there. Yeah, and now and the difference between you know pre Jetpack days when everyone was kind of rolling their own stuff and and every company at least I would work with always had a different entirely unique way of structuring like the UI layer of their application versus now. When just like you said, everyone's kind of starting to converge upon um, some of the stuff that Google has offered. That is, it's an interesting, it's fun to kind of watch the ecosystem evolve and converge like that. Yeah. And I know, I know, like, um, uh, when we talk about Android app 
app architecture. We do talk about Jetpack, but I think the just the fundamentals of of, of what it means to architect an app using these sort of separations of concerns uh, is something that, that that's dated back for a long time. Uh, and you know, there's a you know the the every every platform tries to do its best to sort of bring you on board. Um, but I, I I do enjoy what. Google's opinion is on, on, on the matter. I think uh, with uh, on iOS side of things, I think with SwiftUI, they're also finally taking an opinion, and I and I think it's it's only going to make the platform better uh, for that reason. And so what? Um, so we're talking about Google having this finally having an opinion on app architecture. What is that opinion? How would you describe kind of the the direction that Google's trying to take architecting yeah, the platform? Yeah, I think I I think. <laughs> I think the precursor for all, all uh, these architectures, I think a lot of it, what, what kind of spurred it was the introduction of, of reactive programming. Back when I was doing just plain old Java development, uh, MVVM was something we talked about even back then. Uh, and it was something, I, I believe Microsoft was one of the first people to, to, to talk about the architecture. and uh, But I think it, a lot of it, required the idea of having this sort of reactive-based models where you can sort of drive uh, data down uh, in either one or two directions. And I, and um, so my opinion, so I think what what Google's done is, is, is because of the sort of reactive paradigm that's sort of taken over uh, development uh, coupled with the idea of doing something like MVVM uh, shows a sort of, um, uh, not so fragile approach to development. It's it sort of it's a it's, it's sort of a much more strict approach to it, and it's it's one that once you get over the hump of understanding how reactive uh, paradigm works, um, that it sort of it it, it sort of speaks well mm-hmm. to developers who are getting into the game right now or who are looking for ways to to just write an app and not have to think about what the best practice is anymore. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The on the the reactive um, architecture tidbit. Are you mostly referring to like live data and sort of that that class of of libraries? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I and, and even if you go back to like data binding, mm-hmm. like they just the idea where you could just have the model and then just have it feed its way through uh, to your view. Um, I think is is kind of what I'm trying to get at. So you mentioned uh, MVVM in that in the that description. Um, could you briefly describe, like, what is MBVM? <laughs> what is that? Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> what is that? So it, it, I think the idea derives from, uh, or the, the, the actual acronym stands for model view view model, uh, where you, 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 you have the idea of a model, you have the idea of a view model, <laughs> and the actual view. And so uh, my understanding of it is that it it's meant to glue all the pieces down in, and coupled with the idea of reactive sort of bindings uh, allows you to, to modify the, the model and, and let that sort of drive its way through the view and back. You don't allow uh, your business logic to sink into your, uh, into your uh, view. You don't allow it to sink into your view model. You allow it to live inside of your model. And uh, uh, I think that's probably not the definition of it, but it's probably the, the approach that that uh, the the sentiment it's supposed it's supposed to uh, convey. One of the one of the interesting things that I've found about honestly these MV whatever like MVP or MVVM or sure. MVI yeah. or MVC. MVC MVC 
is that everyone uh, sort of has their own concept of it. Like that definition jives with my concept of MVVM. But I'm sure that if you kind of looked up like the original Microsoft version, then probably what we're doing on the Android world is, is probably a far cry from what that was. And then they probably sure. kind of reoriented something else to get there. So that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if you even go back as far as try to even read any early papers on what MVC is, I think it's, you know, you, you see those arrows, you see the M, you see the V, and you see the C, and you, you can picture where the arrows go. But I think if anybody were to say concretely, oh, I understand what part of my, what small pieces of my app need to go where, uh, the answer would be different for everybody. And I think it was purposely left a little ambiguous, um, just trying to give you general guidelines without giving you strict guidelines. Because I think ultimately, you know, I mean, architecture does get a little little difficult. It's not, it's... Architecture um, sort of has ambiguity built into it. Mm. Right. It's, it's, you're trying to apply a generic... Uh, framework to um, what might not be a generic problem. Mm. Um, you know, you, you might be able to apply MVVM or any one of these patterns to say like, a, you know, an application that's very uh, almost like get the data model from the internet and just show it. But it may not work as well in, uh, as an example, I don't know, maybe like a video streaming app, you may have to architect it slightly differently to, to accommodate for something like that. So uh, I think the, the architecture is meant to give you a place to start, but um, it's, it's something that, you know, as, as it, a project or individuals sort of dictate what's best, um, which is something I actually find interesting in the, in, in the scope of, 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 of working with large teams, right? Like, you know, we talk about architecture and what it means for an individual, what it means for a handful of people. But once you start introducing more and more people to a project, uh, these definitions start to really get uh, scrambled up, uh, or understandings get to get really scrambled. How, how does it best scale, or how, how can you scale architecture? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's sort of the million dollar question. <laughs> and I think um, uh, I, I think it's tricky. And I think uh, you know the companies that have to do it. Uh, they invest a lot of time and energy into doing it. Um, one of the things, and I'm going to be, again, very hand-wavy about this, but I think one of the interesting ways that uh, some of the bigger companies do it is uh, they first, what I will all say is modularize the code. They'll say there's, there's these fundamental core pieces to this app and everything else is going to be introduced as a feature. Uh, and then within that feature, you can hand these off to different teams. So you at least um, split your your project up, uh, what I would call, I guess, vertically, uh, as, as opposed to horizontally. So you, you, you fracture it up uh, vertically, you allow teams to, to, to operate on it vertically. And then within those verticals, you can allow each team to decide which, which approach works best for them. Do they think that, you know, using an MVC solution or an MVP solution or MVCC or Reactive or Redux or whatever it is that you find fancy or today, <laughs> Uh, is, is sort of fair game for the team. But I think uh, larger companies, that's that's probably one of the approaches they might end up taking is to start off by modularizing their app, find out what are the core pieces, what are things that are considered features that they want to swap in and out, and then allow teams to sort of um, bake in their own solutions to any one of these features. When you said Redux, I really thought the next word coming was reflux, which is typically how I am feeling when I'm architecting at scale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean it's uh, i i don't know i guess it's still a very popular architecture it's not one i'm i'm, I'm I've, I've ever really had to come across other than in, in the concept of react native but uh, i know there's a there's a lot of people who are very um 
into it. Yeah. I say gun ho or happy or, or okay with, with the whole Redux uh, architecture. The reactive programming, uh, it's been around for a little while, but it's really seeming to gain a lot of popularity, not just on Android, but uh, over in the iOS world with Swift.io. They're, they're doing uh, reactive programming at well. It, it, is this sort of the, the turning point where everything is moving to reactive? I think so. I think what reactive programming does is remove a lot of boilerplate. And, and, and I, at least that's the way I picture it in my head. And the only real example I can give you is, let's say you, you're trying to manage a list. And in that list, you insert something. Okay. And then you have to let everybody else know about it. Okay, or you're removing something, and then you have to let everyone else about know about it. And if you forget to, to, to let everyone know about it, suddenly your 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 view may be inconsistent with what's in the list. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, reactive programming, at least uh, from when you talk about it from an architectural point of view, I think it removes some of the the boilerplate stuff that you might end up having to do um, without it. And I think uh, you know Swift UI, if, if you work with Swift UI, is, is is a prime example of that, where you just sort of attach a, 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 a publish annotate to it and suddenly oh, behind the scenes you're just going to get reactive uh, notifications going up and down the stream so um, I actually so you mentioned Redux um, uh, a little bit ago and I think it, I think that's actually an interesting an interesting conversation because Redux is this thing that, that as I understand it really blew up in the web world but I haven't seen it that much in the mobile landscape. Have you, have you seen it in, you said that you saw it a little bit in React Native, but have you seen it pop up in Android or, or iOS? No, I think, no, not, not when I'm talking about native Android or native uh, iOS development. Um, I know we talk about it in, in, in the uh, iOS architectures book, but I, I've never come across it um, in my day-to-day -day projects. And I think, uh, the excitement was uh, you have to kind of step back a little bit in web development and know that th I don't, at least as far as I remember, they don't, they weren't really having these conversations about uh, architecture uh, like they were already having uh, on, on, on the Android and iOS side of things. I think a lot of it was still uh, being uh, controlled by some of these smaller uh, libraries, or not small, but I mean, there was like an Angular library, and, and so they had their own concept. Uh, but when Angular sort of went to the side, uh, React showed up, and I think once people were getting excited about React, they said, okay, great, you know, this is a great tool to sort of manage my views. How do I manage my models as well? And uh, Redux, which sort of isn't necessarily tied to React Native in, in the in, in the specific sense, but is you know the sort of a general solution. I think when it showed up and worked so well with React Native, that people liked that idea and said, "Hey, you know, can we bring this over to, to to somewhere else?" But it just didn't gain the same momentum because there were other conversations going on about how to handle um, you know architecting your app uh, on on mobile on native platforms. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. So kind of while Redux was like entering the world on the web, there was a kind of parallel track running on the native mobile landscape where we were all talking about MVP or, or whatever, and it, we kind of like missed each other. I could be wrong. I think a lot of the reasons why we have, why architecture was such a big conversation on on mobile devices versus uh, web is I think, and, I, and I, 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 this is, this is uh, pure speculation, I think what happens is with the web, you have this sort of 
precondition of thinking, okay, you know, I'm, I'm connected to the internet. My data is just going to go from my server back to my page. So I don't need really, I just need to get the data and then just show it for the most part. And you kind of have these, uh, uh, these web servers that can just give you the, the data that you're going to be presenting on your page. Whereas mobile, you kind of very early on had these other issues where you had to deal with, you know, how do I store this? You know, how do I sync with the server? How do I, you know, how integrate user preferences? And, and like you're sort of, you were bypassing that, that initial phase of just let me get the data and show it. Once users were having bad experiences, giving you bad low, you know, like one star, one star reviews. <laughs> the and, dreaded one and star so review. Developers quickly had to be like, okay, okay, you know, what can we do to improve our apps? We know what are the environments that these people are using our apps in are are like, and so they have to. I think the the mobile landscape had to move a little bit more quickly than the web did um, because of that, these constraints. So, what is Jetpack bringing into this world of app architecture? That may be a completely silly question because I don't know Jetpack, but <laughs> I figured I'd ask. I think, I think, I think uh, initially what it is 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 a bit of a branding on on Android's part. They were already laying the landscape uh, for sort of these uh, opinionated libraries that. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that uh, these opinionated opinionated libraries that um, you know gave you an idea of how to work with your model, how to work with the database, how to uh, integrate, how to attach it to the UI in a way that you won't have to write boilerplate code. They were trying to give you bits and pieces at a time. And at some point they said, hey, we have enough here to sort of give developers uh, uh, like a full suite of libraries that can handle a full app uh, using an opinionated architecture. And so I think that's sort of where the, the whole Jetpack idea came out. And it's sort of meant to launch developers right into developing great apps. Following up on that thread too, I think one of the big things that Jetpack gave us was the view model library. I kind of feel like that the view model class, this thing that survives orientation changes, ended up being sort of that building block that the Android community needed to then start to converge. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I, yes, I, I, I completely agree. I, I, but what's funny is that the pain of having to survive orientation mm. changes is what sort of drove the need uh, for them to write something like that. Uh, and in a way that you could turn around and then also test mm. um, was, I think the big, sort of paradigm shift for a lot of developers once they're like, oh, okay, you know, I can have a way that I'm not creating some sort of singleton that's existing in some, you know, far off universe, uh, made the appeal for view models uh, so great. You mentioned testing. In my mind, architecture is also really fundamentally linked with testability. What are your thoughts on, on how like the current architecture trends in Android impact testability? Uh, I think architecture. When you when you talk about architecture, I think um, I think text, uh, testing is one of those things that accompany the conversation, but isn't meant to drive the conversation. If that makes sense, I think architecture in of itself is is is, is meant to give your app's legs to stand on, especially if you're growing. Uh, and testing is, is a byproduct of that. Um, but it should not be the sole purpose for architecting your app. Uh, I think it's just a really nice byproduct uh, of choosing a good architecture. Does that hold true for TDD? Uh, I, I think so. I think if you're somebody who likes to approach apps from a TDD perspective, uh, using an architecture 
uh, fits well into that. Whereas if you don't, maybe you might do TD, TD at a, at a, using something much more difficult, like a, like an, uh, um, an integration testing package or something. And so, um, if you don't want to drop, if you don't want to go up to that level, you want to drop down to like unit test level. I think, uh, you know, deciding on architecture is, 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 uh, is works well. So when, whenever, um, I typically have conversations about architecting Android apps. One of the things I'm always wary of is over-architecting my apps and kind of adding too much rigidity. Have you found in any of your architecture mm. travels that, that over-architecting ends up being a, a meaningful problem? I think so. I, uh, one of my favorite sayings uh, is, 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 I think, is a common saying for... Uh, I forget the who originally said it, but the idea is uh, uh, premature optimization and is the root of all evil, oh, right? <laughs> is the root of all evil. Correct. Thank you. For, so yeah, so I, I think I think uh, you know if if uh, if you come in with the idea, you know, we're gonna architect, uh, we're gonna layer, put layers and layers and layers on top of a project, uh, and we may we may or may not even need these layers. I think could lead to over architecting, could lead to uh, just more debt than you're trying to remove. Uh, and I think uh, people. Are in earnest want want to do the right thing. They 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 want to make they want to write good code and they try to foresee the future to try to make things a lot easier. But I think uh, when you're talking about architecture in a broader scope, I think you need to look at the problems you're trying to address, uh, and then and then uh, if 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 trying to just let's say tune up your code or trying to uh, you know make things a little bit better the, from the way they are isn't working for you, then architecture is something that you need to talk about. Because when you talk about architecture, you do need to talk about uh, what does it mean for the other people on your team. If you're a one-man team, you know, it's, it's a little bit easier to talk yourself into choosing an architecture, but when you have, you know, people on your team, and then when you start pulling in uh, more opinions, it tends to affect your architecture. It may push you to over-architecting things that you may not need, but, or it may end up shaking out uh, some of the requirements that you think were there, but may not actually be there. Um, so I think for the most part, when you're, you know, over-architecturing is, is, is a real fear. But I think what's most important is, is to sort of ask yourself, why, mm. why are you taking on this a project of architecting an app? Uh, if it's a little bit later in the life cycle of your app, uh, you probably want to do it for other reasons like, you know, improving developer life. Um, you know, if, um, if, if currently just adding a new feature requires you to touch maybe 50 yeah, files. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, maybe it's not the right approach. Maybe if your company's asking for, you know, feature frameworks, like, you know, we need to toggle this, toggle that. We want to A-B test a bunch of things, uh, you know, that you might have to factor that into your architecture as well. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of things. Like I think the conversation of architectures is a much broader one that, that tends to happen on a project by project basis. But I also think that, uh, you know, uh, you need to really look at your, the requirements for why you want to yeah. take on architecture. Uh, on a more personal note, like, like I, I'm, I'm one of these serial app developers. I, I constantly have an idea and I'm constantly <laughs> just writing it and just, you know, just trying to see how far I can get with it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm like MVP from a minimal viable product perspective. I'm like obsessed. <laughs> uh, in which case I, I most often not don't, don't try to focus on the architecture. And I think mm. it, it helps you just focus on the idea, get it out there, get it working. Okay. And then if the needs require it, then you go back and you start 
asking yourself, how can they, would an architecture help build some of these things? So, I like that a lot. I think that there are, are there are a couple of things that you just mentioned that that really resonate with me. One kind of making sure that you're you're trying to solve a, a thing, like making sure that your architecture is really speaking to a problem that your team's having. And then also you kind of touched on this at the end, like when do you decide that it's the right time to really in, start introducing a, a formal architecture to your app? Because I've seen a lot of code bases where, and I've noticed this, especially on the Android side, where kind of this initial hello world or login page, like that that's the state of the app and you have this like deeply complex, multi-layered architecture and it's like <laughs> what problem are we trying to solve at this point we've got two pages yeah, yeah like i've already got a, a you know service set yeah, up yeah. for my logging yeah. i've got you know i've got a service over here to make network calls but you're writing a hello world exactly how do yeah. you dig out of that uh i think you have uh you have to ask yourself the hard question you have to stop and i mean I, if you're in the context of a team you need to pull in your the people you work with and, and ask them what their opinions are. If you're working by yourself, like I often do, I have a little toy I talk to on, on my desk. And, uh, and if you want to know it. what kind of toy it was, I would, I it's, would. It's, 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 it's a Yoda bobblehead. <sighs> I figure it's better to give me advice than a Yoda bobblehead. The real question here. Do you respond to yourself in the Yoda voice when you're talking to the Yoda bobblehead? I don't do a, a very good Yoda mm. voice, so no. I feel like I'm more of the Luke character in that <laughs> conversation. So I'll let the master speak and I will... Code, code not. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I love it. Yeah, or to architect, yeah, or not to architect. Oh boy. Um, so there are... There are a lot of changes going on in the mobile landscape, right? Especially, we kind of touched on SwiftUI really briefly there, and Compose is obviously coming out. So what do you, what do you think the, the Android architecture world is going to look like in a post-Compose world? I haven't looked into Compose. Hey, I don't really have an opinion about Compose. <laughs> um, but we can talk about SwiftUI from, a, from what that brings to an architectural landscape. Yeah, I, like I think, uh, yeah, I think... Uh, I think it's something that uh, the iOS community has also been looking for and has not really received. I think where, and, uh, or more specifically, uh, Google has, has sort of laid the groundwork for little mini frameworks, leaving you breadcrumbs saying, you know, they're sort of moving the direction of giving you an opinion. I almost feel like Apple didn't really, they, they tend to let their API speak for themselves and they've kind of been um, honed into this, you know, view controllers and delegate sort of pattern and they, and it worked for a very long time and continues to work for a lot of developers. Um, but I think uh, with the landscape shifting, uh, as you said, with, with uh, archit uh, architectures and, and giving developers more of a framework to work in, I think is 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 big. It's it's nice, and it's uh, I think it's going to be freeing for a lot of developers. Who let's say you're going to start a greenfield project today, and you're like, okay, well that means I have to in include this library and that library and this library and that library and this library. Whereas uh, at least in the case of let's say Swift UI, you might have a lot of that coming out of the box, mm -hmm. right? And that it'll just be a sort of uh, a very uh, like a well architected app just out of the box and it's got an opinion it's got a strong opinion and it'll 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 sort of guide you through doing the right thing in your app so you don't have 
problem where let's say your model is updated, but your view is not. So, you know, here, here's where we can add in certain details because we're recording this show on the 16th of June. And then on Monday, Swift UI, who knows what's going to happen to it. <laughs> and by the time the show releases, everybody's going to be writing the new books. Oh, yeah, I love it. That's a, my prediction is going to come. My, my prediction is Swift UI 2. I don't know <laughs> if I say that now, so, and, I, and I'm right. Swift ESTUI. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. Jetpack Swift UI. <laughs> <laughs> Max Pro. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, that's. Uh, I mean, I. I think it's. I think it's uh, the idea of just you know providing developers with these sort of paradigms, this sort of reactive paradigm. You know, I think speaks to you know giving developers an architecture and i think mm. it's a good idea i think it's uh it lets developers not have to think about you know how am i going to start this app you can just jump yeah. right in and just start writing and and your project for better or worse may, may, it may end up scaling better mm. um yeah that's i think and it's, oh, no go on no sorry go ahead <laughs> no i was gonna say i was gonna kind of uh you know uh uh, connect back to the idea of working on larger teams and how, to, how how things get split up. Like with Swift UI, for example, uh, you could you you literally create what looks like a line of uh, an HTML, like a line of HTML, and that could be the entire vertical for for, for an entire team, right? All they have to do is insert that mm. single HTML um, you know tag, and suddenly all the way up, uh, you've got uh, you you know you can have a whole team working on on what's backing that, and so. Um, yeah, I think I think it's it's going to be great for you know teams that are smaller teams, bigger teams, scaling. Um, it's a good idea. So, how mature do you feel this all is at this point? I know that everybody is now grabbing onto it. I know that you know Jetpack is out there, uh, SwiftUI is out there, but is it really mature at this point, or is there a lot of growth yet to come? Uh, I think. We're sort of in the middle. <laughs> I think we're, we're, we're sort of past the conversation of how to move from the, the, the sort of current paradigm where you have to wire things up uh, manually and then you know let it drive uh, your UI. Uh, we're, we're sort of at the place where people are sort of starting to say, okay, this is sort of the direction we're going. I need to learn how to write in more reactive pattern or architect my app using these uh, frameworks. But we're at a place where we could probably find ways to still add on, to still make things a little bit easier to use uh, when it comes to debugging, testing, um, tooling, just in general all around it. Uh, so I think we're probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, that's just a guesstimation. Well, if you had your druthers and you could pick where things are going or you could say i need these specific features that i don't see yet this is where i put on my hat and become santa <laughs> code clause <laughs> what do you feel is missing what do i feel is missing oh that's a good question i, I try <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good question i don't really have a good answer off the top of my head um yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't really have an answer. It's to that right perfect. Now. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 good for where it is, and maybe after you know um, a little bit more time when it when it starts to bake, you'll start to see more libraries built on top of mm -hmm. that, on top of the the current um, and current the current offerings, and then you know from there things will shake out. That'll say you know what like 
this was a good idea. Let's let's sort of you know if we tack this on, it'll it'll be even better. Mm-hmm. And then you know maybe we'll be lucky, and Apple will say, hey, you know what, we'll we'll bring that into. So, um, I think you know if I was nitpicking, um, at least on the iOS side, it'd be nice if they sort of made that open source. I mean, one of the nice things about Android is that um, because it's open source, you can kind of see where things are going. You can understand how a framework like that may be written and it may help you if you're trying to build on top of it uh, just to see. Um, And Swift is open source. Shouldn't Swift UI be open source as well? Kotlin's open source. Exactly. But it's a question between a language and a framework. Yeah. Yeah, so it would be nice um, if I had to pick something. That would probably be it. <laughs> I think you also um, stepping back a little bit. You mentioned kind of um, people building off of the, the Jetpack libraries, right? Like the community starting to uh, add their own abstractions, abstractions uh, on top of <laughs> Jetpack. I think I think that's a really a fun point. From my perspective, we haven't seen a lot of, or I haven't seen a lot of libraries that are like, you know, let's say the room database library with extra stuff on top of it. It feels like, like right now we're still at the point where Google kind of gave us these libraries and there, there hasn't been a bunch of abstractions built on top of them yet. Yeah, I think, well, room is a good example. I think the, the, the difficulty with Room is that it's actually a very good library. <laughs> uh, and, and so you have to ask yourself, well, at what point is it um, is sort of not meeting my needs? And I think uh, if, you ever, if you ever look at Room and you look at Room under the hood, Room does a lot, right? And, 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 and it's, it's, its point is to make the developers' lives a lot easier. I think where it starts to sort of um, show uh, difficulties in terms of working with it uh, where people might want to um, build on top of it is when you're dealing, for example, with multi-tables. Mm. I think um, I don't think it currently does support for multi-tables, which again probably speaks more to if you're having a growing team and they're going to have multiple tables. Uh, sorry, not multiple, multiple databases. Uh, um, that's probably the one area if you want to do like cross database. Mm. Mm, sounds but, like that's really reaching at that point right so i think room is is one of those things that they just it's it's, it's a really well constructed library mm. now on the other hand from jetpack there's jetpack compose which is actually something completely different and alex has been refreshing his jetpack compose so alex first of all what's the difference between jetpack compose and jetpack yeah so jetpack compose is a a really ambitious attempt by the Android team to write like an entirely new view layer. So it's it's a way to it's it's basically analogous to Swift UI, very similar structure to Flutter or React, sort of a declarative way to build UI. Whereas Jetpack is now this massive suite of libraries. So Jetpack Compose is is just another one getting tossed in there, but it's a very ambitious other one. And beyond the ambition, what have you been doing in Jetpack Compose? Yeah, so I I don't know if we talked about it on the show yet, but earlier in the year, I took a stab at, at one of the very initial sort of alpha, not pre-alpha dev releases of Jetpack Compose, and they're kind of pumping out these releases every, every few weeks. Um, and... Recently, I've been kind of following along the news and, and dabbling a little bit in the, the their latest iteration of it, which looks very similar to the 
the older versions with a couple of nice um, additions that they've added. So one thing that I really love is typically in the Android flow for developing an app right now, you'll make your UI changes, you'll press the run button, you'll go to the beach, you know, play some volleyball, uh, have a sandwich, come back, and your build will be about halfway through, right? Um, <laughs> that's typically like the, the UI development flow. But with Jetpack Compose, they have these, you can, you can throw this little app preview annotation onto your composable functions, and, and those are kind of your building blocks of UI. And then in a little pane to the right of your code, you can actually see that, that UI widget. Um, so that is super cool, and they've recently updated it so you can actually interact with it too. So you can see what happens if you like scroll a list or something like that, all without actually like running on your device. So that is uh, something that I found really cool, and I'm really excited for using in my in my day to day development. Have you uh, have you tinkered anything together with it? I mean, I've tinkered together sample apps that are you know go through a list of <coughs> sorry. Sample apps that are like go through a list of images or something along those lines, but I haven't built any sort of production software. Well, I mean, big... that, that's what we all do is we just have hundreds and hundreds <laughs> exactly. of started projects. And... Oh, yeah. You, you got my number there. Those are my favorite kind of projects. Projects that you spend one and a half day on and then start a new project to spend one and a half days on it. <laughs> but now you can over-architect it. Exactly. Um, another... You have everything you need. You got everything you need. Another cool thing that they've added to Jetpack Compose, which is different from when I first um, started looking into it, is they have this concept of modifiers. Um, so one of the things, switching paradigms a little bit, one of the things that you see a lot in Flutter code is everything is, is a widget. So if you want to have some text and you want to add you know, four dips of padding around it, you'd have a padding widget, and inside that padding widget would be your text widget. And that's kind of the the direction that they were moving in the last time I played with Jetpack Compose, but they have since um, kind of backed away from that. And now you have this modifier concept where you'll have your text and instead of wrapping it in a padding widget, you'll pass in this modifier that is, um, you know, some preferred height and some padding. And I think it's kind of a controversial decision, but I'm really a big fan of it because the the new Compose code that I'm writing is way less indented as a result than the old Compose <laughs> code. Because if you had, like, you know, padding around a card and then padding around some text, this is a Christmas tree already, because that's, like, four layers of indentation. But with the modifiers... It's like callback Yeah, out. exactly. But with the modifiers, <laughs> it, it's just, you know, the one or, or two layers of indentation. So Wonders. those are the things that I'm, I'm so excited about. <laughs> Oh yeah, so okay, I, I'll do it. Uh, so uh, I was going to ask you. So the, the same way that you 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 mentioned that that uh, composes allows you to compose these views. Does it do something for you from a model perspective? Mm. Does it uh, the same way that you might have a hierarchy of your your views? Is there a way to have a need to also compose your models in some way, or you know, I, are you just passing them down? Or yeah, so I don't I don't have a great answer for that yet. I think I think that would probably fall into the realm of like. What is the architecture going to be for that stuff? Right. I know that um, the Android team is pushing immutable data objects a lot with this. Um, and from what I've seen from other declarative frameworks like you know, React or, or Flutter, 
you it, it kind of tends towards a paradigm where you have like like in redux land you have like your big model object that kind of gets passed down the chain and kind of chopped into the different pieces that care about it as you go lower i'd imagine we'll see a similar thing show up in in compose land but i don't really know yet i also don't know i don't know how it's gonna fit in with with the rest of the jetpack suite of libraries i don't <laughs> like are we gonna have yeah. you know a whole compose tree for each activity or would you have a whole compose tree for each fragment or would you just have one compose tree and no more fragments just in one activity and do that then do you only have one view model or or do you have different view models like <laughs> it's it's back to being like wild wild west which is really fun and is bound to make for some Interesting. <laughs> so, so many wonderful questions and probably some more questions that we'll get to in the after show. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, um, Vijay, I really want to thank you for all the information on Android app architecture and architecture in general. This is a uh, really informative and even my poor little iOS brain, which does not do Android, was able to keep up a little bit. Vijay, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. It was oh, awesome. Thanks for having Thank you guys. Anytime. And of course, for those listening to the podcast, we invite you to uh, look for this episode in a few weeks on YouTube. The video episode will contain information that we left on the cutting room floor and a more <laughs> casual after show with our guests, which we'll get to in a few moments. BJ, you can find on Twitter at V underscore Charm, S-H-A-R-M. Alex and I are both on Twitter sometimes. Alex at Alex Sullivan 444. I'm Podcast Drew. That's D-R-U. Our upcoming show, our next RW Talk, our Ray Wenderlich uh, Community Talks, will have David Sherline on, and that is going to happen a little later in the day from when this episode drops. And the title of that talk is, You're Not As Good As You Think You Are. Know what's coming up. Our next episode of the raywenderlich.com podcast is Chris Bellinger and our first of three bonus episodes this season, talking about Git. And that is going to release on the 15th of July. So we hope you'll tune in for that. But until we get to the uh, video portion of our podcast, that's going to wrap things up for the audio portion. For Alex and myself, we thank you so much for tuning in. And in the meantime, we head back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.